Okay, please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And uh, one more time, it's been a great blessing to us to have you all join us over the past two weeks to hit the streets of London, my capital city, and uh, speak to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, plant seeds, and hopefully when we leave London the day after tomorrow, we will leave London in a much better place than when we found it. There's still much apathy on the streets of the UK. There's still much indifference and ignorance. In fact, just last weekend, I was speaking to somebody in Greenwich, and he said to me, do you really believe in the devil? Do you really believe in a place called hell and a place called heaven? And I said to him, if I didn't, you wouldn't see me here. I'd be doing something else. But after Jesus Christ, after Almighty God, Satan is the most mentioned person in the scripture. And yet he is neglected by most of professing Christendom. Most churches rarely have ever speak about him. They want to speak about the love of God. And yes, God has love, but his love is conditional on you receiving his only begotten son. If you pass up his son, you'll be damned. And therefore, I want to start today in Isaiah chapter 14, a great piece of scripture found in the Old Testament concerning a subject which is either ignored, rejected, or just simply misunderstood. And I'll say this, that I take the Bible literally Every word in the scripture is inspired of God. And if it can be taken literally, it must be taken literally. Of course, I made the case a few days ago, when you look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, for example, concerning the subject of lusting, you don't literally pluck your eye out or cut your hand off or cut your foot off, which is also found in Matthew chapter 18. That piece of scripture is simply speaking about dealing with your flesh. In fact, Paul would tell you to mortify the flesh. He would tell you in Romans chapter 16 to put your flesh to death so therefore when you get to John chapter 6 which speaks about eating the Lord's flesh and drinking his blood it is metaphorically speaking it is symbolic language it is hyperbole language but today the scripture that I want to start with should be taken literally and if you spiritualize the word of God you will lose many blessings and you may even be reprimanded at the judgments of the Lord if you're saved be in the seat of Christ and if you're unsaved the great white throne but take a look if you will at Isaiah 14 verse 9 hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming it stirreth up the dead for thee even all the chief ones of the earth it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations hell not the grave hell not the pit hell not Hades, from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Concerning the devil, concerning all of the wicked, but specifically concerning Lucifer, it stirreth up the dead for thee. A great awakening is about to commence. A great party is about to break out. Of course, party, not in the sense of rejoicing, but in the sense of mourning. Even all the chief ones of the earth, All of the great from creation to the end of the millennium are very much in reference here. And we are left with a somewhat of a paradox because we are told as Christians to pray for those in authority and we must. And yet, according to my Bible, most of those in authority are lost, are damned. Even all the chief ones of the earth, without exception, it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. It's very hard to picture this and yet I've got a very vivid picture in my mind of the devil being thrown into hell and this piece of scripture is given Isaiah 14 around 700 BC and yet what we are reading about 
will occur after Revelation chapter 20. This book is incredible. 10. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Are they also become weak as we? Are they become like unto us? Is it really Lucifer? Talk about the mighty falling. And they shall speak and say unto thee. In some ways this also pictures the first death. And yet bear with me. Quote, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Also I'll say this, that when the angels fell, back in uh, the sixth chapter of Genesis, they were put in a detention centre, where they are still to this day. So you've got two meanings in this piece of scripture. The first meaning concerns the chief ones of the earth, but behind the chief ones of the earth are unclean spirits, demons, devils. So I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that Satan's ultimate fall is going to be witnessed by his own crowd, the spirit world, which are behind the kings of the earth. And that's why it's difficult sometimes to pray for those in authority because they are wicked. But they are wicked because many of them are indwelt by unclean spirits. Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? We are in misery and now he's going to join us in this awful place. Many roads into hell, but not one out. 11. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise thy voils. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. This is a very powerful piece of scripture. We know from Mark chapter 9 how the unsaved become like worms. And he get a picture of his victims, the devil's victims, with him, on top of him, and underneath him. Very difficult to fully grasp, but as they say, you made your bed, now lie in it. 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou also cut down to the ground, which disweaken the nations? How art thou also fallen, or how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which disweaken the nations? You weakened the nations, you shook the nations to their core, you flood the nations with pornography, with bestiality, with wickedness, with depravity. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? You've totally fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? You are responsible for the nation's demise. And therefore, when this chap said to me last week in Greenwich, do you really believe in the devil? The answer, of course, was yes. And if he wasn't, a real person, then first of all, who was Jesus Christ speaking to in the Gospels? And secondly, who's doing all his work? 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I'll be like the most high. Let's break this down. For thou hast said in thine heart, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart is wicked. Before you're saved and even after you are saved. Don't kid yourself. You're saved by grace and you're kept saved by grace. But you are still wicked. What does James say? One moment we are rejoicing and praising the Lord. The next minute we are criticizing people. Gossiping about people. And that tongue cannot be tamed. For thou hast said in thine heart. I will ascend into heaven. Being the third heaven of course. Where the Lord God abides. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He's got a throne, he's got a base, he's got a kingdom. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation. This is very interesting. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Congregation means the church. 
Mount means a hill. Let's spiritualize this to Revelation 17. And maybe he's saying this. I will sit upon the seven hills in Rome. I will sit in Vatican City, in the sides of the north. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation, in the sides of the north. I will sit also upon the seven hills in Rome, and I will be in control of Catholicism, the whore of Rome, and also the daughters of the whore. And yet, technically speaking, he's referring to the third heaven. So just allow me to spiritualize the latter part of verse 13 to include Rome. Also 13 is the devil's number. 13 is the number of the occult. 13 is the number that witches like to use. 666, Friday the 13th. 13 being synonymous with wickedness. Look at verse 14, please. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. Five times the term I has appeared. I want to do this, I want to do that. I will do this, I will do that. Me, me, me. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Your days are numbered. Satan, referred to here as Lucifer, referred to elsewhere as a dragon. And that's why it's so sad to see so many young people walking around with inverted crosses, walking around with symbols of skulls and bones and death and wanting this affinity with wickedness and you look through the history of the world like the skull and bones club which came out of yale and harvard and the aristocracy in the uk also having their own secret societies and people are sworn into such groups and they take an oath that if they reveal anything that they've seen or experienced they will forfeit their life and that of course has been Duplicated in the word of Freemasonry. Look at verse 16, please. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this a man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? Satan is depicted as a man. Jesus Christ came as a man. Jesus Christ is referred to as the angel of the Lord. Satan is referred to as an angel of light. Satan is a great counterfeit. And I put it to you this morning that if you're not a Bible-believing Christian, you have no way whatsoever to know whether Satan is for God or against him. You have no way to know whether Jesus Christ is legitimate or not. I mean, it's quite simply that unless you are a Bible believer, you have no way to tell the difference between Jesus Christ and the devil. That's quite a thought, is it not? But here, Isaiah 9 or Isaiah 14.9 down to 17, pictures Satan's final destruction. A man, an angel, or a cherub, to be precise, from uh, Ezekiel 28, has finally got his comeuppance. His day has been earmarked out for destruction. And therefore, if you are a Satan worshipper, if you are following this individual, directly or indirectly, you need to quit it. You need to repent of it, because he's going to be destroyed, and if you're not careful you'll be destroyed as well. I may come back to this piece of scripture, but jump over, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 16, a great piece of scripture to read concerning the first death. And like I just said, when you look at Isaiah 14, you've got 
Satan as a spirit arriving in eternity, or arriving in judgment to face eternity in hell. His fall is witnessed by those in hell, the chief ones of the earth. But behind the chief ones of the earth are the spirits, the spirit world. And the spirit world see his demise as do the chief ones of the earth. And this could also occur just before the second death. But the first death is spoken about here by our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ from Luke chapter 16. Take a look, if you will, at verse 19, please. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I read this this morning and I thought to myself, this is interesting. 19. A rich man clothed in purple and fine linen. I thought to myself, here's a picture of a priest. A beggar which was laid at his gates full of sores. Here's a picture of a pauper. Designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The dogs came and licked his sores. Picturing the Gentiles. You've got a priest, 19. You've got a pauper, 20. You've got a Gentile, verse 21. And for the Jews, if my understanding of this is correct, this would have been shocking. Because Gentiles were dogs, 21, which are unclean animals. They were despised by the Jews. And for a priest, 19, to be spoken about in such a way would have been devastating for them. And yet, the priest falls, goes to hell, and the pauper is elevated, rewarded, which again would have been a great shock to his audience, 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. This, of course, is the first death, not the second death. And here the beggar has died and was carried, almost like receiving, I guess, an angelic escort. And yet the rich man dies at the same time and is simply discarded, dumped into hell. And I mean hell, not Hades. I mean hell, not the pits. I mean hell, not annihilation. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. He's still got eyes which can see, being in torments, plural. And seeth Abraham afar off. Abraham, of course, was saved. And Lazarus in his bosom. In his bosom pictures intimacy. John the Apostle would lean on the Lord's bosom during the Last Supper. When we are saved, we are in Christ Jesus. But more importantly, Christ Jesus is in us. And this would have been a great revelation to the Lord's audience to hear such a thing. You mean a beggar goes to hell and a rich man goes to hell? How can it be? And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and call my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. This wealthy man, this rich man, this priest, quite possibly, has died in his sins. And the word of God says how they die in eternal shame. And here, this rich man is calling the shots. He says, Father Abraham, he calls him Father, because he's one of the patriarchs, have mercy on me. And yet, what does the world say? Too little, too late. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. He's given orders. This man still thinks he's a big shot. That he may dip the tip of his finger in water. 
and cool my tongue, not get me a glass of water, but that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I think it's quite fair to say that this wealthy man, this priest perhaps, knew this pauper, this poor man. He may have climbed over him every day when he went about his business, and this beggar was outside this man's house. And yet, people say that if you have fallen to hard times, and they quote that scripture from King David, I've been rich, I've been poor, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or beg bread. And they say, how do you explain that? How do you explain here this saved man, and by the way, this is not a parable, this is a literal event that occurred, which Christ tells you about. How do you explain this, they say? How can it be that a saved man is begging? How can it be that a saved man is on the street? Well, it could be a number of reasons. It may be that he strayed from the Lord, that he fell out of fellowship with the Lord. Maybe he was part of a society that fell through wickedness. Maybe a recession came and he fell in hard times. We're not told. But I'll say this, that if you're saved, if you are on Poverty Street and people are looking down upon you, read the scripture and take comfort. Because just because you're saved doesn't mean that hard times will not come your way. This scripture is very much telling us that such a thing can and will happen. I am tormented, present tense, in this flame. You think of JFK, the eternal flame. And I mean flame. Don't spiritualize this like many people do. They say this isn't a real account, it's a parable. And it's given by the Lord to warn the ungodly about the need to repent. No, this is a literal account about two people who died around the same time. Look at 25. But Abraham said, son, remember, that thou in the lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. You had a good life. You had a nice big house. You had cars. You had women. You had power, prestige, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. He had no family. He had no job. He had no house, and now he is comforted, saved, in the beloved, and thou art tormented. That word tormented can also be translated to be tortured. Everlasting torture. Hold that thought, if you will. 26. And beside all this, between us and you there was a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Out goes purgatory. If you die unsaved, you go to hell forever. Many roads into hell and not one road out. And therefore, if you die unsaved, you remain unsaved. Purgatory is a vicious Catholic doctrine invented to make the Catholic Church very wealthy. And yet here, Abraham is making it clear that there is a great gulf fixed. Not just a gulf, but a great gulf fixed. And yet the Lord has allowed Abraham to see this wealthy man... And he's allowed this wealthy man to speak to Abraham. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Also, this is a great scripture to rule out visions or trips to heaven and back. I went to heaven and I saw this. Or I went to hell and I saw that. No, no one goes to heaven 
No one goes to hell and comes back to tell you about it. Such people are either deceived or depraved. 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Fire five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Father Abraham, I am begging you now, send him to my father's house. Send the beggar to my father's house. Why? For I have five brethren, I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, that he may witness unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. If you die without Christ, you are forever lost. There's no way to be later redeemed. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have the word of God, and therefore that is more than enough for them. And today we have the New Testament on top of the Old Testament. And that also underscores the importance of the scripture, the sufficiency of the scripture, the necessity of the scripture. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. You would have thought so, would you not? And yet, the answer from 31 is devastating. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, Old Testaments, if they won't hear the New Testaments and Jesus Christ, if they won't hear street preaching, if they won't hear street preachers, if they won't take tracts from Bible-believing Christians, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. Like Pilate, like Herod, like Caiaphas. So take these verses, please read them, examine them, don't spiritualize them, take heed to them, and use these verses if you need, if you need to, to warn people about what awaits you at the first death. And I will close in Revelation chapter 6. And the Seventh-day Adventists like to teach a doctrine called soul sleep. But Revelation chapter 6 makes it clear to me that soul sleep is an error. When the devil was destroyed, Isaiah 14, he didn't sleep. When the rich man went to hell, Luke 16, he didn't sleep. And here, Revelation chapter 6, when the righteous die, they don't sleep. Their bodies may sleep like the rich man in Luke 16. And of course, the description I just gave you from Luke 16 is in reference to his soul, not his body. And also, Satan's destruction from Isaiah 14 would be in reference to his soul, not his body. It's fair to say that at the resurrection, we get glorified bodies for everlasting fellowship with the Lord. And therefore, the unsaved get glorified bodies for everlasting destruction. Because your body is physical, your body will burn up. But your soul is spiritual. And your soul will be joined to a spiritual body. A glorified body, perhaps I should say. And your soul and your glorified body are going to be joined together in the resurrection of damnation. But your body, if you're saved, will be joined to your soul, which will be joined to your glorified body for everlasting fellowship with the Lord. So therefore, soul sleep is out. It's a heresy. And Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 completely annihilates such nonsense. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth?
and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them, that they should rest yet for little season, and to their fellow servants also and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And they cried with a loud voice, speaking, Luke 16, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Picturing tribulation martyrs. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. John could see the souls, not their bodies, but the souls of them that were slain, killed by the Antichrist. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They wouldn't compromise. They wouldn't sell out. They remained faithful unto death. And white robes were given unto every one of them they can wear robes, they can wear clothing. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, say for seven years until the tribulation is ended, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. They're going to remain probably in Abraham's bosom. They go back to Abraham's bosom. They are redeemed, but they're going to wait for the great white throne judgment to be given their rewards. And perhaps crowns, I'm not sure. Although crowns specifically are spoken about for those in the church age. Not for tribulation martyrs. But here, the souls are very much awake and conscious. They're not sleeping. And therefore, John is shown clearly from 95 AD. Events that are still to occur. And here we are in 2016. And this event has still to occur. And that shows the... Uh, the supernatural aspects of the scripture. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. It could be also that they are in heaven. I won't be dogmatic and say they are in Abraham's bosom because the altar is in heaven and also there's going to be a third temple built in the tribulation. But I'm going to slightly sit on the fence and suggest that it is possible on the one hand that they go to Abraham's bosom and yet it is possible that they will go to the great white throne to get the rewards. And yet it's quite possible that they are in heaven with the Lord God of the Bible. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And yet when Stephen was being martyred, he said, Lord, don't hold this sin to their charge. Lord, don't punish them for this, as Jesus would say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And yet this group of people are wanting blood, are wanting vengeance. Different people, different dispensations, different responses. So one last time from verse 11. And white robes, a picture of purity, a picture of imputation, a picture of being rewarded. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Until the tribulation has ended, until their fellow servants also and their brethren future martyrs killed by the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation, not church-age saints, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So the Lord says, wait until all things are ended. Wait until I am ready to call time on this and stay put and I will either resurrect you and you'll be rewarded at the great white throne judgment or such people are already in the third heaven awaiting to receive their glorified bodies. And I'll close it there in verse 11.